0: It was early 2014 when my very pregnant cousin came to visit me in Portland. She started talking about how she had gone no contact with her mother after going to therapy and discovering that her mom is a narcissist. She saw how the legacy of abuse was already getting passed on to her first child with every contact with his grandmother. With another baby on the way, she decided there was no other option if she wanted to provide a better life for her kids than she had growing up. As she was telling me this information and relating it to events of her childhood, some things that I had known about because we were pretty close and others that I didn't know, I couldn't help but compare my own childhood experiences, the ones that I could remember with my mom. As soon as she left, I called my brother and said, you know, our cousin was just here and she said that our aunt is a narcissist. I think mom might be a narcissist too. He goes, did you just figure that out? I've known that for a long time. Well, when he was in high school and after I had gone off to college, he was left at home with nearly 100% of the abuse directed on him. While he didn't exactly know she was a narcissist, his girlfriend's family had helped him figure out that something wasn't right with our mother, more than a decade before that phone call. At some point after my cousin's visit and the validating phone call with my brother, I just buried it all. I don't even remember how long my newfound lucidity lasted before it went behind the veil again. I was forced to focus on the emergency situations in my immediate relationship and the rest of my life. Little did I know, my boyfriend at the time was a covert narcissist. The visit with my cousin was an important seed planted. But at the time, I couldn't face my issues with my mother until I could face and work through the issues in my other relationships with narcissists. In stage one of the recovery process, it's like you're in triage. You're bleeding life force energy all over the place. You have wounds in places you haven't even discovered yet. You have so many wounds that you don't know where to start first. So start with the emergency stuff. The recent experiences of abuse with your intimate partner, boss, co-worker, friend, neighbor, etc. Deal with that first. Create new safety and security through boundaries and self-care. Work on managing and reducing the intense symptoms. Rebuild your foundation. Get to the point where you take 100% self-responsibility. That's where you'll make the leap into the next stage of recovery where you can deal with the childhood issues. Almost two years after my cousin's visit, with plenty of devastating, abusive experiences in the middle, I finally broke through the denial. I was ready to see my mother for who she was. I'll never forget that moment. She was sitting at the dining table among piles and piles of catalogs. I went in to share the good news with her that I was feeling passionate and clear about setting up my online coaching practice again, and this time with the focus on self-healing after trauma. Now, this was after weeks of being at the bottom of the bottom CPTSD crash, where I could barely get out of bed and take a shower. I had finally turned the corner in my recovery. I was passionate about something for the first time in a long time, and I actually believed in my ability to do it. She looked up at me sideways. With her fingers to her forehead displaying the shame that she felt about me and my idea i can't believe you're thinking about doing that coaching thing again it's never worked before so why would it work now why don't you just go to the mall and get a job in that moment something shattered inside me i finally saw her for who she is i realized i can no longer go to her for support encouragement or compassion because she's incapable of that as an adult. It's my responsibility not to open myself up to that inevitable disappointment and disapproval anymore. I realized how I was seeking her approval all my life and how I gauged a lot of my own life based on her reactions to it. I didn't want to feel powerless one more day. I took the reins back in my hands in that moment and vowed, to myself that I would move forward. I believed in my ability to figure it out. As you enter stage two, you're standing on solid ground in safety. You're feeling empowered. You've worked through the intense, early, complex PTSD symptoms. They're much less now. So now it's time for the internal medicine. This is when you can start digging deep into childhood and working through your issues caused by your narcissistic mother so you can heal your inner child and replace the people-pleasing and self-abandonment patterns with radical self-care. The childhood stuff is too much to open and unpack in stage one, but in stage two, you're ready to face it. After that paradigm shift and separation from my mom at the table of catalogs, It took me almost two more years of setting boundaries and reducing contact to a bare minimum with her before I was finally able to make the commitment to no contact. That was the most difficult but best decision I've ever made. It has changed my life for the better and I am grateful every day that I did it. My cousin continues to be a wonderful ally for me and vice versa in our healing journeys after the wounding of our narcissistic mothers. I don't know that I could have done it without her support. It's really important that you find at least one ally in your family or in your close friends who gets it because their mother was similar and even better if they knew your mother because they can help validate things they witnessed and vice versa. It's a journey, it's a process, and it's a tough one. If the legacy of abuse was passed down in your family like mine, it wasn't fair and it wasn't your fault, but it's up to you now. Are you going to carry it on or will you take a stand and decide that it ends with you? It's up to you. It's your responsibility to work on healing it now if you want to have a life where you are thriving. It's hard work. I'm not going to lie, but it is possible and you can do it. I'm Meredith Miller, and this is the Inner Integration Podcast where you can learn the mindsets and tools to help you heal after narcissistic abuse. You might have a narcissistic mother if you identify with any or many of the following experiences with your mother, either in childhood or up to present day. She frequently criticizes you, disguised as concern. She puts you down by comparison with others she would take someone else's side before yours. You always feel like somehow you're wrong, and yet somehow she's rarely wrong, even when you know she's wrong. She carefully chooses when to abuse you and when to wear her mask of sweetness in front of others. She invades your privacy and crosses your boundaries, then acts shocked if you're not okay with this. She interrogates you for personal information to be used against you. She acts like she cares, but she's actually mining for information that she will use for manipulation and gossip. She minimizes your success while giving you shallow phrases of false support. Somehow, she always has plausible deniability about the things that she says and does, so you can never get her to admit what she did. She finds little ways to sabotage your joy and relationships, maybe overtly or maybe more subtly from behind the scenes. She frequently points out your flaws with disdain, humiliation, rejection, disapproval, or disguises it as benign teasing. She likes to tell you what you did and how she would have done it better. She's sometimes horribly cruel and other times subtly demeaning with little verbal daggers that sound like approval but are really abuse. She invalidates your experience of abuse through gaslighting. You feel like you can hear her jealousy behind her empty admiration. She fiends concern in order to take control of situations. She embarrasses you in front of others by revealing private information or telling lies or gushing about something that you did that she wants to brag about because it makes her look good. She fiends praise of you to others. So no one believes you when you try to tell them who she is. She creates constant conflict with lies and gossip between you and your siblings and other people. She taught you to wait on her like a slave and she feels entitled to this attention simply because she's your mother. She plays victim and blames you or your siblings instead of accepting responsibility for her actions. She's self-absorbed and demands your full attention. And when you don't give it to her, she will act put out and punish you for it. She's petty and complains about how hard it is for her, even if she's never worked a day in her life. She hates your independence and tries to sabotage it. She divides you and your siblings or other people through triangulation. She badmouths your father and shares private information about him that is inappropriate for kids to know. She looks to you to meet her emotional needs instead of meeting yours when you're a child. Her emotional mood determines the mood of the entire house. She makes you feel like you're not good enough. She triangulates relationships within the extended family and local community. She turns it around on you when you bring up her abusive behavior. So somehow you end up doubting yourself and apologizing to her. The mother figure as the narcissist is so devastating to the children. She's supposed to be the one person in the world who loves you and believes in you more than anyone else. It's damaging when the father is the narcissist too, yet in a way that's almost more acceptable and recognized among society the archetype of the deadbeat father who's either absent, abusive, or useless has been around for a long time. It's almost expected. So the victims of narcissistic fathers often get support and compassion from others who realize that this is a common trend. When it's the mother, other people often don't wanna believe the victim. They might even be horrified that an adult child would not want to have contact with his or her mother. This makes the abuse doubly painful, isolating and devastating when people don't believe you. It can be really difficult explaining to extended family or others why you don't wanna have contact with your mother. Most people just don't get it and they might have a lot of ignorant judgments. In the worst case, they might be like your mother and so they encourage you to maintain contact out of guilt and obligation or even the sadistic pleasure of watching you suffer. In cultures where the mother is held as sacred and worshipped, you can imagine how this belief system is even more difficult for children of narcissistic mothers. It wasn't your fault that you were raised by a narcissistic mother. She made you feel unloved and never enough. Then sometimes she gave you empty, superficial flattery to keep you confused and holding on to the hope that maybe one day, all your efforts would allow you to have the mother-son or the mother-daughter relationship that you always wanted. You kept going back, trying to get closer, trying to mend the relationship, but no matter what you do, it's exhausting. It's draining every time. And then it takes days or weeks or longer to recover afterward. Here are some of the best clips from my YouTube videos on narcissistic mothers. These clips will give you an orientation to the common struggles in the aftermath of being raised by a narcissistic mother, as well as some basic mindsets and techniques that you can put into practice now to heal your wounds and protect yourself from further harm. You'll hear clips from my earlier work when I still had minimum contact with my mother. So at that time I talked about boundaries with the narcissistic mother and responding instead of responding acting when she pushes your buttons there are also clips from my more recent work after going no contact and fully divorcing her in august of 2017 in which i talked about how this was the best yet most difficult decision i've ever made and why you said that you still get nervous and worried whenever you're talking to talking to people you feel like an outsider how to overcome this so What it sounds like to me, it sounds like you're talking about the loneliness in our child wound, you know, where you feel like nobody understands you and you're different and nobody really hears you and you just feel really alone in the world. Like maybe even when you're hanging out with people, you don't fit in in some way, maybe like all your life, this was like a pattern. So what I have found as the cure for that or rather the antidote for that are two things. One is presence and the other is authenticity presence is you being a 100% present with yourself as often as possible, right? All the time if possible, but it's not going to be all the time because if you've been through these situations and just Humans in general, because of the overstimulation in our world, people are not present. You hang out with people, maybe in a group or maybe with one-on-one friend, and like just look around the room, like how many people are absorbed in their cell phones, you know, and, and in some digital thing versus being present with the other person, or how many times are you having a conversation with someone you're like, it's like they're not even there. Like it seems like they're there, but they're not. They're clearly thinking about something else, or they're thinking about what they're gonna say next, not listening to you. And that sort of thing, or they, you know, they, just, they have their agenda, and they're not really being present with you, right? So be present with yourself, like as much as possible. Like it's called mindfulness, right? And this is your mindfulness training: is be in the moment aware of what you're doing. I'm moving the book on the table. I'm cutting carrots in the kitchen. I'm scrubbing the floors. You know, instead of being all over the place and distracted in your mind, it's really important to get control over your mind. After having been through mind control, which is psychological abuse, your mind is all over the place. You got to retrain it Okay, and one of the first things you can start doing is practicing mindfulness, like bringing yourself back to the moment. Every time you catch yourself distracted out there, take a deep breath and bring yourself back to the moment. And maybe you have to do this like a hundred times a day at first, maybe you have to do a thousand times a day at first. But it gets easier and easier, and then it becomes like you know the training wheels go off after a period of time, and just like it becomes your automatic. Like as soon as you catch, you're like, oh right, I'm gone again, back present, right? And then the more present you are, and the more present you are, and the more present you are. When you are 100% present with yourself, you don't feel so lonely anymore. You might be alone, you might be physically in solitude, there might be nobody around you, but you feel not desperate about that. You don't feel upset about that. In fact, you feel really at peace because you are so present with yourself. And then you can take this into your interpersonal relationships at work, with your friendships, new people that you're dating, and be 100% present with them in the moment. You're having a conversation, your cell phone's put away, your shopping list is put away, your thoughts about the day and the conversation, all that's put away, and you are just 100% present listening to this person. That is such a gift. How often do you hang out with someone who is 100% present with you? Very rarely. So be that example, be 100% present with this person, even if they're not 100% present with you. Maybe you're at work and you're having this situation, and what's gonna happen is people are gonna feel that. People are gonna start to feel good around you. People are gonna wanna be around you, and not for any other reason, just that like they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel like you're there when you're having a conversation with them. That is such a gift to offer people. Now again, I always have to say this to my audience because my audience, we are recovering codependence, right? You have to have boundaries to that. You gotta have limits. You know, don't allow someone to take advantage of you. If they're taking advantage of you and manipulating you, cut that off immediately. You don't owe them that. But I'm talking about with people, you know, who are not like that, people who have a conscience, people who are not manipulative, be fully present with them and see how that revolutionizes your interpersonal connections. Like even if you are going to like a networking meeting where you're gonna have 30 second to two minute conversations with people, be so fully present in that 30 seconds or those two minutes with that person that they walk away from there and they're like, man, I don't know what it was about so-and-so, but I really like her. I really like him. Like there's just something about them. That's what it is. It makes people feel good. Right? How many other people feel unseen, unheard, unnoticed, don't fit in, don't belong, right? You're not alone there. So that's one way that you can turn that into a gift for yourself and for other people. The other way is through authenticity and that is being 100% you, your true self, the self-expression of that, who you are. Right? How many times did you compromise who you are or dim your light or not allow yourself to shine in the radiance of who you truly are, not allow yourself to express your joy because that person you're with was like going to shut it down, going to sabotage it, going to make you feel like crap if you felt good about anything and you weren't all absorbed in whatever drama or whatever they wanted you to be absorbed in. So 100% authenticity with yourself. I guarantee you will feel so much better if you put that into practice because it's like it's like a form of counteracting you abandoning yourself. Because when when we got into those relationships and when we enabled that abuse and that manipulation, essentially we abandoned ourselves. Yeah, we could say that person deceived us, that person abandoned us, but in reality we abandoned ourselves, we deceived ourselves because we weren't 100% aligned with ourselves, with our authenticity, because if we were, we would have said no thank you to that person, right? So that's the work that you wanna do in order to create the antidote to that sense of pathological loneliness that is caused in childhood from being raised by a narcissistically abusive parent. It sounds like in your case you had both you had a dad and a mom, just your dad was more physically abusive, your mom was more psychologically abusive, I would recommend to you these two books. One, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Healing the Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers by Carol McBride. Fantastic book. This is a must-read for everyone. I mean, even if you're a guy and you are raised by a narcissistic mom, I would get this book because the concepts are so relatable. The other one I would get is Mothers Who Can't Love... A Healing Guide for Daughters by Susan Ford, another fantastic book for anyone who was raised by a narcissistic mother. I mean, psychologists pretty much agree that the ones who get it, right, they understand the narcissistic abusive, you know, dynamic. What they say is that, like, it's so much more damaging when it's the mother than the father. Like it's really damaging when it's the dad, but it's so much more damaging when it's the mom because like that is that should be your source of nurturing and love in life. Like the nurturing mother figure. You know, the father being the support, the protector and loving, right? But in a different way. And not getting that foundation from the mother is devastating to a child and devastating to that adult who grows up as an adult child never having healed those wounds. So now is your time, baby. It's your time, right? It's time to heal that, to be there for yourself, to re-parent yourself in the way that your parents never could. A big part of that that I learned is coming to the acceptance of who they are, accepting the truth of who they are. And I don't mean accepting the abuse and going back for more. What I mean is accepting the truth, putting the label on, manipulator, Narcissist, sociopath, whatever label that is, you know, that you feel you need to put on there with your parents, with your mom, to really understand who that person is because that acceptance is what breaks the trauma bond. That acceptance, that truth is what sets you free from the Stockholm Syndrome and from keep getting into the trauma bond and Stockholm Syndrome with a new person because the original trauma bond with the parent or parents was never broken right? So the only way to break that bond is truth and acceptance. So the more you educate yourself, the more you see the patterns, the more you're going to be able to validate yourself because you're going to realize like, it's not just you. Like it happened to so many people. And like, this is what professionals say. like This is what like two PhDs, you know, say on the matter. They know, they get it. Read the books Understand what it is. Keep working on the truth and acceptance so that you can get out of that and set yourself free. And and you're going to have to grieve that. You're never going to have a mother like most normal people have. Your mother's never going to be that person. She's never going to heal herself. She's never going to change. You're never going to know what it's like to have that. And while you might have the fortune, the blessing of meeting an older woman or maybe several in your life who Kind of play this surrogate mom role, you know, where they're healthy women and they give you this sense of love and nurturing and mother-daughter dynamic In sort of like a friendship way that can be amazing to have someone like that in your life and if you don't have that person then I would take the shamanic route of looking at mother earth Pachamama, as they say in peru in the andes mountains mother earth that that is your ultimate mother you know you came from this planet she was your mother you came through your your human mother but even your human mother came from the great mother and that's this planet the mother earth and i would get barefoot and go outside and walk on the earth and i would put your belly button i would lay down on the ground and put your belly button to the ground this is something my teacher in peru taught us the, the belly button, the Cusco, they call it, which sounds like Cusco, which is the city in Peru, which meant, you know, the center of their empire, the center of the world. Cusco, your navel, your belly button is like the center of you. It's like think about the umbilical cord. And so they put their belly button to the ground and they imagine like giving the Mother Earth everything heavy, everything... Painful, everything negative, all of that grief and they give it to Mother Earth and you don't need to feel bad Because Pachamama is gonna compost that she's gonna create new fresh soil. That's gonna give life to something else So release all of that and connect touch the dirt Sit in the trees. Look at the trees. Maybe there's horrible weather outside like pouring down rain It's cold go sit by the window even you know and just contemplate like looking out at the trees watch the trees blow in the wind watch the birds fly by watch the different clouds move by and the weather happening and just get into this space of like awe and gratitude for the feminine principle the feminine energy because if you have this discord with the feminine energy because of your mom it's like part of you almost is going to hate yourself as a woman because of that or if you're a man you're gonna hate your feminine qualities. Like we all have masculine and feminine energy. And so the feminine qualities of loving and being open and receptive and this sort of thing and nurturing. So in order to truly love that part of yourself, you're going to need to create a healthy connection with the feminine principle. If it's not your mom, because in this case you're raised by a narcissist mom, and that will never be healed with her. Right, and maybe you have the blessing of having an amazing or more than one amazing older woman in your life who are kind of like a mother figure to you or maybe an auntie or something, or maybe you don't have any of that, so you turn to Mother Earth and you connect to Mother Earth and you feel that and you feel connected and you feel loved and supported and nurtured and every time you eat food and drink water, you are just so grateful to this Mother Earth for providing that nourishment for you. That will change things. Like It will literally shift things. I know, it sounds like all woo-woo, right? but it's real it's real like we came from this earth like where do you think your body came from you were once a single-celled organism first you, you grew a body based on the things that your mother ate everything your mother ingested became you then you were born and you know then you became dependent on the food outside in the world and like your tissues your body your entire body how did it go from here to like here food that you ate the food you ate that came from this mother earth, this earth is you. It is your great mother. You are what you eat. You are mother earth. So connect to the great mother so that you can heal that bond that was so damaged growing up, you know, in childhood. Also release yourself from your mother's legacy, from the legacy of abuse. Release yourself from that by taking 100% responsibility for your life now. Recognize you can't change the past. You can't change what happened that was what it was. The only thing you can shift right now is your perspective, your perspective of what happened and the action that you take to take the reins of control of your destiny back in your hand. That is 100% responsibility for yourself now in moving forward. And that's all you can do but it's not like a small thing, like major things that you can be doing to heal yourself from those patterns. I truly believe that it's something that will always be with you in some way. But as long as we can shift our perspective of that and recognize that we are who we are because of that and not despite of that, that there was some gift, some treasure in that, that we can transmute into something positive now and moving forward. Whether it's a sense of meaning or a sense of life purpose or a new sense of direction or understanding in life. Just some awakening to this whole other part of who you are or this whole other reality that's out there that you just didn't even know because you were living in this negativity limited paradigm. You're not alone here. There's a lot of us who went through very similar, what do I do about it, you know, questions. And it's a hard decision. I think the decisions about the narcissists, sociopaths, et cetera, in families, these are the cases when there's just such a heavy, crushing sense of guilt that it feels like it could suffocate your heart quite literally. And there are some cases when it's just so dangerous to the adult kid, 59, however old the person is, the adult kid and their kids, the grandkids of the abuser. There are cases when it's so dangerous to them both that minimal contact just doesn't work that a person decides themselves to go no contact because they already recognize that the narcissistic grandparent is already involving the grandchildren in the whole golden child and scapegoat fantasy and that's that's already passing the lineage of abuse down and even though you're in the middle and you recognize it's happening and you don't want that to continue and you've changed. You know, you've changed your codependency patterns. You're working on healing those patterns so that you don't pass on that lineage to your kids because you can pass it on as a codependent because what you're passing on is the personality characteristics that set a person up for abuse. Then eventually they attract abusive people much like their grandparent or your parent. So you always want to be cautious. You know, if you start to see that sort of thing, you might need to draw the line. I know a lot of cases where people have done that. Then there are other cases where minimal contact can work. You know, a mitigated form of contact, just like you said, you know, the gray rock kind of contact. Sometimes we call that minimal contact or mitigated contact, meaning you're very cautious about the kinds of contact that you have with them and you're very cautious about what you're sharing, what you're allowing them in on and what you're not, you know, where the boundaries are. And these kinds of situations are major lessons in boundaries because they will always push and push those boundaries. And you know, this decision is ultimately one that only you can make. I can't tell you what's right for you, you know, with your family. And ideally, when dealing with a manipulator, whomever they are, whether they're a narcissist, a psychopath, a sociopath, a borderline, or just some passive aggressive jerk. Dealing with someone like that can be so trying on your sanity and ideal, and your health, like your physical health as well, not just your psychological health, but eventually it becomes physical, physical health problems that you'll develop. Look at what Dr. Gabor Mate was talking about in his video when the body says no, right? When your body begins to take on the stress of the overwhelm that's in your mind. And sometimes the easiest thing to do, the ideal situation, is just to completely go no contact. That's so much easier when the person isn't your family. When it's a lover you had, someone you dated, a relationship you were in, a marriage you were in uh, where you didn't have kids, for example, or you know, a boss that you had, or a co-worker, or a friend, or a neighbor... And then there are situations where you can't be entirely no contact. And that could be the situation of people co parenting with an abusive person. That's a lifelong lesson in boundaries because the court mandates contact. You're sharing children, you're sharing custody. There's details to work out, money, you know, and other things that you just always going to have that contact with that person so you have to master your boundaries and you have to master the gray rock technique so that you can externalize that abuse and not internalize it not take it on not allow that to direct and control your life you know it could be a situation of someone at work it's a boss or a coworker they would love to go no contact but they can't because they're stuck in that job for a period of time until they can get a new job. And so they figure out the minimum contact. And it could be in these family situations where maybe the guilt is just so crushing that you can't bring yourself to go, no contact. Or maybe this may not be your situation, but in other situations it could be that the other parent who is the codependent, and not always, right? Because sometimes two narcissists, or a narcissist and a sociopath, and a borderline and a narcissist, or a borderline and a psychopath, or sociopath will be together, but let's say that it's a situation where there's one narcissistic parent, whomever they are on that cluster B spectrum, and then there's the codependent parent, and they're not divorced, like they're together and they're a package deal because the codependent parent is so, co- is so severely codependent that they're defending the abuser, or they're not standing up against the abuser, so in order to have any contact in a relationship with that codependent parent it's a package deal. You have to have then minimal contact with the abusive parent. You don't have to, right? These might be choices that you make. When I say have to, I'm I'm speaking maybe of my own situation where I still want to have a relationship with my father and they're they're a package deal. So now I have mitigated contact with my mother and very clear boundaries. And yes, just like you said, she will push the buttons. It's like at least every conversation, which is about every other month now. But it doesn't fail. There's always zinger. Always. At least one thing that she does in every conversation, she'll usually wait till the very end too. Um, and you know, if you can get to the point where you can depersonalize that and put that outside yourself and label that for what it is, guilt tripping, minimization, blame shifting... Rationalization, you know, whatever the abuse tactic is. And if you aren't familiar with those covert aggression tactics, I recommend Dr. George Simon's book, In Sheep's Clothing. He outlines every one of them, and it's like at least a paragraph or more a description of what that is. And you'll look at that maybe like I did and wow that's abuse oh my god no wonder that always felt so shitty and I couldn't understand that that was abuse that was emotional abuse like the guilt tripping you know you might have just written it off because your family is Italian Catholic like half of my family right oh it's just that's just how Italian Catholics are the guilt tripping just deal with it that's just how it is but no no that's actually a form of covert aggression Once you label it what it is, it's so much easier to take a step back from that and to not take it personally, right? Because even though they're making it personal, they're making it about you, you don't have to take it personally. You can put that outside yourself and you can work on your own response to that and recognize that that person is going to keep touching those buttons. And so it's up to us to do the work to get rid of those buttons. It doesn't mean we have to keep those people in our life just to prove that, you know, we've mastered our buttons and we're not going to let anybody push our buttons. There will always be someone who shows up in your life. If you don't work it out with your mom and you go no contact with her, somebody else will show up in your life with the same patterns, very, very similar. And they'll touch those same buttons because inevitably that's what it's about, right? We have to face it to deal with it. And you know, I think it's normal to feel sorry for someone. You know, you talked about how you feel sorry for her. I think it's normal to feel sorry for someone who made poor life choices. You know, when you can look at that and recognize, wow, she made some really poor life choices. She's continuing to make poor life choices. And, and even when those choices were about abuse, someone taught her that. Where did she learn that? One of her parents quite likely someone taught her that and when we place blame right and this is why we focus on not placing blame like at one level yeah she's at fault she's to blame for what happened but if you stay stuck there then you'll always stay stuck in the victimhood on a bigger picture If you look back and recognize someone taught her that, like your mom didn't invent the game. My mom didn't invent that game. Someone taught them. This is a transgenerational pattern that continues forever until someone stands up and says, it ends with me. I'm breaking the silence. I'm calling this out. I'm risking attack from the family, ostracization from the family, you know, more abuse from the family and all of this because I'm done with that. You know, every one of us who is standing up has the bravery to face that. These are really challenging things to stand up against because you're talking about a whole family who has been excusing that and enabling that abuse for generations. It doesn't excuse what they did. It doesn't make it okay that their parent did it and their parent did it and their parent, you know, and it just got passed down. It doesn't mean it's okay. Having been abused is never an excuse to abuse someone else. You know, often I'll hear borderlines use this as their excuse for their behavior as adults. They'll justify it by saying it's because they were the ones who were abused. You know what, honey? We all have been abused, okay? Everyone listening to this channel has been abused. Even the narcissist, the sociopath, the borderline, the psychopath, the histrionic, pretty much guaranteed that they have been abused. I think it's only a very, very small percentage of them that are entirely genetically based, that there was nothing happening in those familial dysfunctional dynamics. I believe much more in the environment. Yes, there's the biology and there's the genetics, but why are those genetics expressed, and why are sometimes they not expressed? You know, look at epigenetics, which is a new field in science, which is talking about that. Yeah, we might all carry the psychopath gene if we were born into a family where this gene runs down the line, but it doesn't mean that we become that. We might become the codependents. We don't activate that gene for whatever reason in the environment. Maybe there was a loving grandparent. Maybe there was some other parent or some other parent, maybe, or some other person in the child's life who was able to show them unconditional love and they were able to form this emotional attachment with. So they didn't end up becoming on the cluster B spectrum of things. But no matter where you find yourself, codependency, cluster B, whatever, you're an adult now, right? We're all adults now and we can't keep blaming the generations before and we can't keep blaming everybody else. It's important to recognize abuse when it's there and to not tolerate that abuse when you see it but it's also important to empower ourselves and recognize that this is a transgenerational pattern and the only way it stops is when we stop it you know we don't allow that to continue within ourselves and within the next generations to come. You know, you mentioned the loathing, the resentments that you have towards your mom. What does that mean? That means forgiveness work is needed. You might not be there yet. You might not be there today, and that's okay. Have patience with yourself. You can't force yourself to forgive somebody. You will forgive somebody when you're ready. And it's important to remember and to start putting the idea in your head because sometimes we get confused around forgiveness and abuse, and we think that forgiveness means saying that it was okay and it's not. Forgiveness is not saying that it was okay. Forgiveness is not condoning that behavior, and sometimes we're afraid that if we forgive, then it means we have to keep that person in our life, and it doesn't mean that either. You don't have to keep that person in your life. You can forgive them without ever having a dialogue with them. They could be dead, and you can forgive them because this is about you. Forgiveness is about you, not them. It it doesn't do anything good for them. Forgiveness is for your benefit so that you can free yourself and liberate yourself from those heavy feelings of resentment, regret, bitterness, loathing. You know, you mentioned you just started the SANA series and that's awesome. I think forgiveness is week number 11 and I purposely put it towards the end and I explained why in the series because this is not something that we do in the very early stages of recovery. We just can't get there. We can't get into that mental space because we're still in the cognitive dissonance, trying to work out what is this? What was going on? Is this really abuse, but it was this and it was that, and what is it really? We're still trying to work a lot of things out, which is why the forgiveness comes later. It comes later, and it comes at a different time for everyone. There might be some people that can forgive a lot sooner. It might also be part of their abuse training. They might have been taught To forgive and to keep accepting that person in their life to keep allowing them to hurt them and then to forgive them again So you might have been taught somebody listening to this might have been taught that pattern recognize That's a dysfunctional pattern of forgiveness because forgiveness doesn't mean you're going to keep turning the cheek And you're just going to keep allowing them, you know to hit you upside the head. That's not what forgiveness is Forgiveness is to set yourself free To release those heavy feelings. It's like sending back To that person, all of those heavy feelings that they have transferred to you through their projection, through their abuse, which caused you to take on those heavy feelings. Forgiveness is like the lubrication that sets that stuff free. You are, you are exactly correct that even if you go no contact, and this message was a little longer, I abbreviated it. She had mentioned even if the mom died, that it would probably be the same. That's so true, and it's great that you recognize that. Your mother's physical presence here has nothing to do with how you feel and think about that. All that it means, if you go entirely no contact while she's alive or while she's dead, all that means is you won't be continually re-traumatized and triggered every time she continues the abuse. But even when they die, those feelings of imprisonment will still exist inside you until you set yourself free. And remember, those prison bars aren't real. They're holographic. They appear to be so real. And so we sit in the cage and we feel helpless and hopeless and... like we can't get out and then that learned helplessness makes us not even try so we just sit in the corner in fetal position and we just keep accepting it and so one day something happens right and we stand up and we have this new sense of courage and we just take a run for it and we realize that we just passed right through those bars they weren't even real it was just a hologram it was just an image that cage didn't really exist we were keeping ourselves locked in that reality paradigm which of course we didn't invent that was taught to us it's not your fault that was taught to you but it's your responsibility to stand up and get out of that prison when you're tired of being in there i totally understand what these feelings are that that loathing that you're talking about i used to have nightmares about my mother you know where i would get to the point where i was just screaming i hate you you know like just just so desperate because I was repressing those feelings in waking life. You know, I was going on and pretending like nothing was happening and everything was okay and I just kept accepting it and dealing with it, not really looking for answers, not recognizing who she was and what she was doing. And so all of that inside me was just building up in my subconscious. So in the dreams, in the nightmares, I was working that out. I even had one dream last year in Peru where some people were coming to kill me, right? I don't know who it was, some kind of army, something was coming to kill me. And so I ran home and my mom was like, upstairs, go hide upstairs. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I went upstairs and I'm hiding and they came to the door and my mom goes, she's upstairs. And I just woke up going, just like shuddering because that's literally how I felt all my life. Like she wasn't on my side. She pretended to be. And that was very confusing. But given the opportunity, she would turn me over in, in a heartbeat. So if you're having that sort of nightmares and these sorts of things, flashbacks, you could be having flashbacks in your waking life. Some people experience them more in dreams and nightmares. Pay attention to those and journal them because there's something there. And if you're like me, when you have the dream, the nightmare, you wanna be like, okay, just just bury it and put it away, which is what I tried to do. But then I kept having flashbacks of the nightmare while I was awake. And it was just a reminder that I needed to deal with that, that I needed to really face how I felt about it. So that's the inner work that you're being called to do is to work on those feelings that you have and to recognize that you're not going to be able to work them out with her. That's not going to happen. It's going to happen with inside you, whether she's alive or dead, whether you have contact with her or not. This is your work. This is our work. This is the work that we all need to do inside ourselves. Otherwise, whether she's in your life or not, someone else will come along. The universe will orchestrate it because your inner state is vibrating and resonating with that, with somebody who's going to remind you that you feel that way, somebody who's going to hurt you so you can feel more resentment and realize that you feel resentment, that you still feel resentment from the past. So this is the work that you need to do. I know that you're going to find a lot of help in that SANA series. So I'm really glad that you decided to start doing that. That's fantastic. You know, you can leave comments on each of the episodes and other people leave comments and you guys can connect with each other. And I try to answer those comments too. You said here, getting out of her grip on your soul. And I think a lot of us feel that soul connection, whether it's with a parent, a family member, or a partner, a lover, someone that you felt you had a soulmate connection with. So I invite you to try like a meditation or visualization where you imagine doing that. You imagine releasing her grip on your soul. However you want to envision that, you know, if if you have particular religious beliefs, you could bring in religious figures. If you have particular spiritual beliefs, you could bring in those spirit guides. For example, maybe uh, Archangel michael is one of your spirit guides and he has a sword and archangel raphael which is the healer comes in with the the green light of healing you know whomever you want to pull in or maybe you just want to do it yourself and you envision literally what does it look like what does it look like her grip on your soul how do you visualize that psychically do you see a symbol do you see an image of something okay look at that breathe into that and then ask yourself okay how could I release this? How could I release this grip on my soul? Because my soul is my soul and I have a right to the sanctity of my soul. You have the right to the sovereignty of your being without someone else in there gripping your soul. So know that you have the right and you have the permission to do that. You just have to give yourself permission and create some sort of ritual where you imagine releasing that. Maybe you need to do it several times. Maybe the first time you have so much psychic resistance. And when I say psychic, I mean your mind, your energy, your emotions, right? Your soul. You might have resistance to that. There's so many layers of programming around that. So it might take some time, but eventually you'll see. Remember that your subconscious can't tell the difference between what you're imagining and remembering and what's really happening. So the more you practice this, the more you visualize, and that's how the best way to reach the subconscious is through imagery. So the more you visualize releasing her grip on your soul, whatever it is, maybe you want to do some movement and that feels like you're releasing something, concentrate on your breath and use your breath as you're doing this work. But create some sort of visualization meditation ritual that you can do to practice releasing that. So why is it so important to talk about the original narcissist? The thing is, it's not like one recipe fits all. Family dynamics are very complicated, and people are in different situations. Today, I'm going to share some of my personal insights about my experiences with my mom and sort of the evolution of this process for me, finally getting to this point of no contact a couple months ago, in hope that my insights might create for you some kind of reflection of your own experiences so that you can understand something new about your own situation. Mid-August, I came to Mexico City to Dr. Iñaki Pinuel's seminar. If you guys don't know about him, he's the Spanish expert. He's from Spain. He has a great book called Amor Cero, Zero Love. Unfortunately, I don't think it's in English, and his seminars are in Spanish as well. And so this seminar was called healing um, soul violation or healing soul rape. Sure enough, by the end of the seminar, after hearing everything that he had to say, it just like, you know, that one takeaway for me was I absolutely have to go no contact with my mom, like no more minimum contact, no more gray rock, divorcio express, as Iñaki says and you know he said something too he said like you know people were asking what about your parents because like mostly we were talking about the romantic relationships and people like what about your parents what if they're older and they're sick and they're your parents right you know i mean how are you going to cut them out and he said look you know just because they gave you life doesn't give them the right to keep shitting all over it and that really really got in there you know and he said until we divorce that original abuser's energy Our own neurons will keep betraying us every time we meet a similar person with similar patterns as that narcissistic parent that we're still in contact with, you know, and even if they're dead, we're still in the loop. Like we haven't done the work to cut that out of our life. And so that for me was just like the breaking point. The very next day I met up for brunch with my Mexican brother and with him as my support and my witness I blocked her on WhatsApp. Like that was the only channel of communication left open and it was Divorcio Express. So how do I know I made the right decision going no contact with my mom? The results speak for themselves. My life two months ago was very different than my life is right now, internally and externally. And I am so glad that I made that decision. Like it wasn't easy. When you're dealing with a narcissistic codependent parental team which maybe a lot of you are and what happens usually is the codependent although they're a very empathic loving person the codependent is quite unhealthy. I mean, especially if they've been in that relationship for decades and decades, they're in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, like they're so set in there. And the codependent might have a case of narcissistic fleas that happens sometimes. But at the very least, you can assume that the codependent parent is in the trauma bond with the narcissistic parent and therefore they will, be, they will defend that person. They will be loyal to that person. I can't tell you that you have to go no contact with your narcissistic abusive parent. Only you will know when and if that works for you. It took me a long time to get there, like years of a process to get there. And I really believe that the family dynamics are the hardest ones. Like, you know, the, the romantic relationship is devastating. The work relationship is just really hard. But the family relationships is like layer upon layer upon layer of guilt woven throughout that structure. And there's like decades long dysfunctional pattern that's just locked in there. Like there, there is nothing the same of that. What I would recommend to you, if you are at the point where you're recognizing this is your family, this is one of your parents, is at the very least to set new boundaries and if you're going to start with some basic boundaries i would start with what you share like from now on no sharing personal emotional deep stuff with them like on the surface boring you know that gray rock kind of stuff like don't let them in any deeper definitely don't share your joy don't share your pain because that will all be used against you another boundary that I recommend having is, you know, how they, how you allow them to affect your emotions and your mental outlook on life. Because that's the whole thing about that paradigm of the narcissist. If you allow that to bleed into your life and like, we become like the people that we most hang out with. You may not become like a narcissist though. You might catch some fleas, but what i mean in this case is their reality can be so overwhelming that when you're around them and even on the phone like i mean you could be in a whole other country halfway around the world and you talk on the phone it's like that reality starts to take over your reality and then it starts to get really confusing and then like and especially when it's all of them and you and you're the only one that doesn't see things that way that's the danger of hanging out with them is that you could start to subscribe to that very dysfunctional, very toxic reality. Now, that's fine that they live in that reality. You can't control that. You can't change that, but you want to have boundaries that protects your reality. So you don't let that stuff in. You know, the way they try to get you to emotionally react or to feel a certain way or how they want to plant all these doubts and fears into your mind. you got to dismiss all that stuff. That's not for you. That's not your reality. You do not have to subscribe to that. Give yourself permission to prioritize your sanity, your health and your well-being. If you're waiting for someone else to give you permission like Dr. Iñaki Pinuel gave to us that day, then listen to my words right now and let this be your permission. It's like almost like we're just waiting for someone to tell us like it's okay because there's all these messages around us, especially from the family telling us it's not okay. You can't divorce that parent. You can't leave that family dynamic. You have to keep serving that. You have to just shut up and take it. So if you're waiting for another voice, this is the voice right now, but mostly you need to listen to your inner voice, okay? Because that day in that seminar, even though he was saying that, I could have just dismissed that. I could have not, taken that to heart. I could have said, well, you know, but that doesn't really apply to me or maybe I just wasn't ready. But at that very moment, I was ready. I was ready to make that decision. It had been this long, long thing in the make and I needed to hear his voice that day so that I could make that decision to move forward. So understand too that in stage one of recovery, you're not ready to face the childhood stuff yet. Right in stage one, It's like you need to get safety and stability and you need to put the childhood stuff over here for the moment so you can get yourself into that groundedness and that safety and stability. Eventually in stage two, that's when you want to start digging into the past, looking into the childhood stuff, really unearthing all of that and making sense of things and resolving things and seeing how the childhood has affected your whole life and you know where do you need to make changes in your perspective and the way that you're living and the relationships that you have with your family and other people so that you can move forward and the reality is you need to go down into the abyss before you can come back up like it's just the nature of this transformational cycle so It's part of the process and wherever you are in that process is right where you need to be. So I'm not telling you that you have to do this or you have to do that. And if you're not looking into the family dynamics, you're not doing something right. Maybe you're not there right now and that's okay. Maybe this message isn't quite for you right now, but if you're listening to this and you're like, oh man, then you know, this is where you're working at right now. So always keep your finger on the pulse of where your growing edge is so that you can keep moving forward. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough. You matter. And you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more You can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.